0: It's Chase and Josh with Factor Fantasy. That's Chase and I'm Josh. And we're here to give you episode four of the House of the Dragon today. Last week, Chase took us through episode three. Some really badass moments. A lot of symbolism. A lot of setting the stage for later on. And also the cool action on the end of the episode. And today, I will be guiding us through episode four. Some really great stuff here today as well. It's only going to get better every week that we go through this bad boy. So, really excited to dive on into episode four today and before we get started i'll turn the floor to chase to say a few words let's make it happen baby back
1: in the dragon saddle and a lot of tricksy and false today <laughs> as we learn now let jay nelly take it away let's get a malice in the chalice man cheers my dude cheers brother
0: good stuff get us started Oh, you know I will. Let's go ahead and kick it off here at the beginning of episode 4. The episode starts with Rhaenyra grabbing the necklace that Daemon gave her a few episodes back. And she is listening to the head of House Darien and his proposal to her. And she has a line of them waiting to be heard. What this is, is they all want her hand in marriage. She's on a marriage tour, and they're trying to find the right suitor for her to become her husband and king consort. Uh, she ends up making a joke about how Lord Dondarrion knew her great grandmother because she is—he's uh, obviously much, much older than Rhaenyra. It's not going to be a, a great love match because he looks like he's in his 60s. She even says he's older than my father, and so she just makes a joke about his age. And you know, uh, the guy that's sitting next to Rhaenyra said, "Oh, that was unseemly, Princess. I shouldn't have done that." But you know, she's like, "Well, it's unseemly for him to think that this is going to make sense. You know, he's you know, over double my age." But anyway, she's got no interest in the match. Long story short. Uh, the next in line is the head of the Blackwoods, and they're an ancient house, and they command a formidable army, but the boy is almost like, 14 years old. <laughs> she goes like from the really old guy to like, the child. She even says, first that, and now a child? thought it was pretty funny, but anyways, as he's going through his list of why he would be a good fit for her, one of the older boys off to the side, I think they called him Bracken, is picking on the boy, and obviously, like I said, he's a Blackwood. And Anyways, this whole ordeal ends with... Uh, Rhaenyra is saying, we're, "We're done for now." Like, you know, thank you for, you know, pitching your just yourself. But uh, what ends up happening is the Bracken guy ends up calling the Blackwood boy Craven, and Craven is basically the word for coward back then, and that was a huge insult and basically a means for a fight. If you called someone a Craven, you better be ready to draw some swords. So uh, that's actually what ends up happening. He Calls him a Craven, and the Blackwood boy draws a sword on Bracken, and they fight in the hall as Rainier takes her leave. And as a kid, you know, Kristen Cole says, don't look princess. And as this camera pans over, we see the boy, you know, it was a little bit of a plot twist. I thought, you know, the older guy was going to kill the boy, but the boy ended up killing the older the older guy who was picking on him. So, uh, Mister B- uh, little little boy Blackwood ends up, you know, stabbing Bracken through the chest. And I, I'm just assuming that he died because he was spitting up blood and, you know, the older man was like, standing over him. It looked like he died, but who knows, you know, we never call anyone dead until we see the body, right? But anyways, it's not important. Uh... At this point in time, the scene moves, and it's Rhaenyra and Kristen Cole, and they're on the Targaryen ship, and they decide to head back to the Red Keep. And it's two months early on her marriage tour, so she's worried how her father's going to react, because she basically spurned the rest of the marriage tour, and he put like a lot of effort into making sure everyone lines up and is ready to present themselves so she can find the husband that she wants. But after that horrible year, she's like, dude, I'm fucking done with this shit. I'm done. Like, I don't want to deal with it. So they end up going back to the Red Keep instead, And as they're just sitting on the ship, something really, really cool happens. Uh, Out of the sky, Caraxes flies down and clips the ship, making them all fall. And the reason why this is important is because, remember, last episode we left off, Damon was in the Step Zones after he had killed the Crab Feeder. Well, Caraxes flying towards the Red Keep... Means that Damon has returned to King's Landing and you can see the happiness on Rhaenyra's face. And I also think that that was a little bit of a foreshow how this episode opened when she was grabbing the necklace that he gave her while she was listening to other marriage proposals. So that's just another thing to just you know keep your attention to. Anyways, the, the scene shifts the King to the king and he's grabbing his crown and his sword and they're holding an audience in the throne room and everyone in the keep lines up on either side of the aisle and motherfucking Damon walks down the aisle with his new fucking haircut and a crown on his head. Look badass as shit and he's just walking down there like he owns the place. Anyways, he walks up right up to the steps of the throne and the king's guard puts the sword right to his chest to make sure he couldn't go any further and uh, Viserys notices the crown uh, well, first of actually, he drops the crab feeder's hammer in front of the Kingsguard and tells Viserys to add it to the chair, which is kind of cool because there's a whole thousand blades of Aegon's enemies. But this wasn't a blade; it's a hammer because that's what the crab feeder used to stake the people to the, the posts at, at the at the stepstones. So that's the point where Viserys notices the crown and asks Daemon if he calls himself king, and Daemon replies that after they destroyed the Triarchy, they named him king of the Narrow Sea. Which causes everyone in the room to become immediately uncomfortable. They're like, "Shit! Like, what the hell is this guy doing?" <laughs> but then Damon sets everyone at ease when he says, "But I know there is only one true king, Your Grace." And he drops to one knee and removes the crown. He says, "My crown, and the stepstones, are yours." And Viserys asks Damon where Lord Corlys is, and Damon tells him that he sailed home to Driftmark. So Viserys asks, "Who holds the stepstones?" And Damon replies, "The tides." The crabs and 2,000 dead triarchy corsairs stake to the sand to warn those who might follow. I thought that was fucking badass. But then uh, Viserys stands above him and tells Damon to rise, and they embrace to the applause of the courtroom. And then they hold a level of a celebration, and you know, the king again likes his wine, he's a little tipsy. You can see he's slurring his words a little bit, and they're talking about how Damon was always their mother's favorite you know, because he was good at war, and you know, Viserys was never a great warrior. And, you know, in poor Allison, she just wanted to make a cool little suggestion, like, oh, do you want to go see the new tapestries? And then Viserys, like, the like clowns are, I was like, yeah, okay, David has no interest in fucking tapestries, you idiot. Like, that's basically what he's making her feel stupid. And that's when Rhaenyra kind of takes uh, pity on Allison. It's like, oh, I would like to go see the, the tapestries. And then you realize that Viserys is annoyed with Rhaenyra, right? Because he's like, well, then you shouldn't, you know, deprive yourself, go. And. I, I almost forgot that I couldn't figure out why he treated Rhaenyra like that. And I was like, oh shit, that's right. He, she left the marriage tour two months early that Sarah set up for. No wonder he's still annoyed with her. I had to, like, totally forgot about it because I was so excited about Daemon coming back to King's Landing. But anyways, um, they, they, she ends up going to the side and, and Allison comes and sits by her. and you know, they're, like, She's complaining about the marriage tour. And Rhaenyra's issue is that the people who want to marry her aren't doing it because of her and her person. They're only doing it for her name and her blood and their station in life. And that's the issue that she's got with it. So the scene then moves in. Rhaenyra finds Damon in the godswood and asks why he's come back. Obviously, there's a bunch of Valyrian that they say back and forth that I don't give a shit about. Chase probably likes that stuff. But uh, I'm just going to go through the cut to the good stuff. Basically, he tells her that marriage is just a political arrangement. And that once she is married, she can do whatever she wants. And one of the cool quotes that he tells her is, you cannot live your life in fear or you'll miss the best parts of it. And I thought that was really, really cool. Anyways, the scene then moves to the small council, and they're having a meeting, and they're concerned about Lord Corlys's absence. And Otto tells them that Otto's brother sent word that Lord Corlys is engaging in negotiations with the Sea Lord of Braavos, and that he plans to wed his daughter Lena to the Sea Lord's son. And remember, Lena is the one where that the, the, his other advisor, the Master of Law Lionel Strong, advised Viserys you should marry Lena to repair this relationship. Well, now, uh, the Velaryons are considering marrying her off to uh, Sea Lord of Bravos, which, you know, them, you know, even Otto says it right here. Otto says, if House Velaryon entered into an alliance with the Free Cities, then we would have to seek our own marriage pact. So, now it's a whole ordeal there. And then from that point, the scene shifts to Rhaenyra, and she's entering her sleeping quarters, and she finds a bundle of clothes and a note that shows her a secret exit from the room. And she uses that secret exit and sneaks out, and she meets with Damon, and he's the one that left her the clothes and the note, and they go explore the city. She's never been outside the Red Keep before. So he takes her through the poor parts of the city, and I don't know if it was Flea Bottom or the, the Street of Silk or whatever they want to call it, but she's seeing all these sights and things that she's been sheltered from her entire life, living the life of privilege in the Red Keep. And she's almost captivated by it in a way. It's like a world of wonder for her. She doesn't know how these people live. I thought it was kind of cool, but you know, from there, the scene moves to Viserys in a tub, and we see that his sores have multiplied and still look gross as fuck on his body. I don't Like we mentioned a few weeks back, we don't know if this is leprosy, what the hell it is, but whatever it is, it's definitely multiplied and looks super nasty. And then we get this little reminiscent moment of the original Game of Thrones, where they sit there, and we, we're watching a play, and if you guys remember back in Game of Thrones there there was a play in Bravos where Arya was supposed to poison Lady Crane and they're having that whole play about everything that's happened in Westeros over there in Bravos. Well, this play was making fun of Viserys appointing his heir. And they, they you know it's basically stating, you know, who should we support? Should we support the brother, the daughter or the little babe of 3 years old, right? And so they had this whole Play that they played out, and you can see it was getting to Rainier a little bit when they're all like booing her and saying that she's feeble, she couldn't rule. She's like, Boo, lie, slander. And David, (laughs) David was like, Dude, just if you want, but you know, this like their opinions are gonna mean something. She's like, Their opinions mean nothing. He's like, They will if you wish to rule them one day, you know. So I thought that was pretty important. So he tells her, There are many that believe Aegon should be heir on the account of him being a male, and she brushes it off, but he's like, No, dude, it definitely matters if you expect to rule them one day. So she gets annoyed with that and walks off. And then I found this really, really cool. It was like a little playful thing they did with each other, but she goes to try a sample of food on the street, and Damon calls her out in front of the person selling the food and calls Rhaenyra a street rat. A little bit of a Disney reference with <laughs> Aladdin, but he said, he goes, that's four coppers. And King's Landing, we pay for our comfort, street rat. And then Rhaenyra <laughs> takes off running down the street like she's like in trouble or something, knowing that she's a princess and she could do whatever she wants if she wanted to, but she wanted to play the game. So she takes off running, and uh, she ends up running into a guard who grabs her, and he's, and he's like, where are you off to, boy? And she recognizes him as Sir Harwin, a little bit of foreshadow, and, he re- and then he, he, she goes, Sir Harwin, and he realizes it's the princess, and he lets her go and tells her to be careful because other people might not be so like, lenient and would probably drag her ass back to the Red Keep. Regardless, at this point, the scene moves to Allison's quarters, and a maid knocks on the doors and tells her the king requested her presence, even though the hour is super late. It's definitely after midnight, so we know what he wants, right? So, uh, what I said in here, just to put it in a a nice way, he called her to his quarters to provide sexual relief. (laughs) I'll say that, but anyways... It's funny, because it's almost, uh, things are happening very simultaneously between what's going on in the Red Keep with the king and Alicent, then what's going down in the, outside the, the gates of the Red Keep with Daemon and Rhaenyra, because the scene then moves to Daemon and Rhaenyra, and they're walking through a pleasure house, and there's naked bodies everywhere. He gives her a lesson on sex, and how it's a pleasure, and though even though marriage is a duty, they can still find pleasure in doing who and what they want. So I thought that was really cool. He's giving her life lessons, and obviously he's got an end goal and all that, but thought was really cool, but it all culminates in this moment of of heated passion. Damon and Raniere start making out, and they're taking each other's clothes off, and it starts getting hot and heavy, but I'm not sure if it's because Damon seems the kind of person that likes to be in control of situations and likes the challenge and the chase, so I don't really know what the issue was. I don't know if if it was because she was so eager, and he didn't like the fact that it was such an easy thing to do, and he kind of wanted it to be more of a, a struggle for him, or maybe he just straight up has erectile dysfunction and couldn't get his penis up. But either way, he ends up walking off without <laughs> it happening, right? He, they, they, they embrace each other. They get real close to, to really you know, getting into the business. But he stops before anything gets too, too far. you know, Nothing goes anywhere that it, it shouldn't at this point in time. But I'm just not sure what the situation is. I don't know if it's because it was too easy for him and he thought it would be more of a fight and a challenge and that's what he wanted... Or yeah, and, and, and or if it was like just a whole erectile dysfunction type of deal. But what are your thoughts on that, Chase?
1: I was thinking more of I think Damon has sort of a plan in his mind. I think he took there took her there not just for the reason of showing her around flea bottom, but I think in his mind, I don't think at this point in time, even though I think there is some sort of level of attraction there, I don't think that like getting with Rhaenyra, with Rhaenyra is his goal. I think it was uh, more of he stopped himself in his mind. I think because in his mind, in my opinion, I think he thinks it would, you know, destroy like the loyalty with his brother or whatever. But then I think he kind of flips the switch. Later on, but I think his objective wasn't to really get with Rhaenyra. So I think it was more of like kind of keeping your mind on the mission there. But I'm going to keep it clean here. But let's just say they did more than kissing. I'll just leave it at that because, like you said, clothes were removed. And I just I'm just going to say that because I think it plays a
0: big point in this episode later on. Back to you. Yeah. And who knows? Like It could be he was making a calculated move to make her want it more in a way and that way it was an easier sell to the king if he decided to bring up what ends up coming up later on. Who knows if it's all part of his plan. Either way, like, he seemed like he was really into it but then he he stopped it abruptly and you know, we've seen him have this sort of issue before. If we remember from the very first episode when he was uh in the pleasure house with Missaria, he was, you know, engaged in the action and had to stop midway mid performance because you know he was so stressed out and stuff so i don't know who knows i I couldn't i couldn't tell you one way or the other regardless uh they were in the pleasure house together and they were spotted and that's going to be the the big key moving forward here so anyways from there the scene moves back to allison and she's you can see in her face she's grossed out by having by being underneath the king you know she's laying awake after pleasing the king, but she—you could—she wanted no part of that, which is you know sad for our, our boy Viserys, but you know it looks it, gross. You know his body is decaying and all that, and he's a bunch of years older than her. And yeah, you know, she she did her duty, but she definitely wasn't happy about it. And at that point, the scene moves to Rhaenyra storming back upper chambers past Kristen Cole, which is funny because Kristen Cole didn't even know she left since she took the secret passage out. And so when she, she like came up the stairs, he's probably confused as fuck. Like, yo, where the hell did you come from? When did, when did you leave? Because he, he's stationed outside her door. But he asks if she's hurt, and she doesn't answer. So he's like, okay, I'm going to go alert the Lord Commander. And she tells him no. And, and she ends up opening the door and takes his helmet. And she's enticing him to enter her sleeping quarters. And he tries to get his helmet back, but she's playing a game of keep away from him. Like She keeps like, pretending to give it to him and then bringing it back, enticing him to come further and further into the room ends up getting the part where he gets fed up, and he just goes to leave and said, fuck, I don't even need my helmet. I'm just going to go out back out to the door. She runs and closes the door, and so that way he couldn't get out, and he looks there. He's like, are you finished? Like, he's like, what's going on here? <laughs> and then she holds the helmet out like one last time as if she's finally going to give it to him, and then she, as he leans in to take the helmet, she pulls it away but puts her body forward and kisses him full on the lips, and she drops the helmet, and they... He starts to, she starts to undress him. So she, he tells her to stop, but she takes his hands and moves him to the middle of the room and starts removing his armor. She kisses him again, and he has no further resistance. He just lets it happen at this point. He did his best. I mean, at the end of the day, Kristen Cole tried his hardest to keep, keep the professionality, but you know she would not, she was not going to be denied. Go ahead, brother. I just wanted to say one line that's pretty
1: famous that I think everyone might have forgot. You got some vowels. I want you to brick them.
0: (laughs) Back to you, man. (laughs) That was the old uh, Ingrid from, you know, the original Game of Thrones with Jon Snow. So, yeah, that was a good little... I haven't heard that in a while. (laughs) But... uh, yeah and i and in my notes here i was but unlike damon sir Kristen cole finishes the job (laughs) and
1: uh, (laughs) yeah no he said oh yeah
0: fuck these vows man but (laughs) it's like oh you know he was sitting there he was like fuck these (laughs) vows to his credit though he did try to resist but he he got he got seduced but either way at this point, the the scene shifts over to Otto, and he's summoned to the front gate. And one of the guards tells Otto that he's sorry for the late hour, but a messenger brings word from the White Worm. And this White Worm is someone that's going to play a little bit of a role, not only today, but going forward in the series. And so he walks up to the messenger, then the scene cuts again. So we don't know what the message was, but we can kind of gather it. But at this point, the scene moves, and it's Damon, and he's waking up, all hungover... And surprise, Missaria is back in King's Landing, and she's the one that's caring for hungover Damon. And he insults her in a way. I don't need like, help from a common whore, and she's, "Oh, I'm not so common." He's like, "Well, I'm not common whore then." And she tells him, "I've left that life behind. I learned the skin trade could only take me so far in this life." And then we see in the distance. I don't know if you guys caught this or not. Or you were just paying attention to the words, but and like she walks to the back of the room, and the messenger that went up to Otto is giving her money. So the messenger's back and had just paid Missaria. So it's pretty easy to infer who the white worm is and what the message was because he returned to Missaria and gave her the coins. So anyways, uh, Missaria at that point looks to Damon and says, you can pay for your room on your way out. (laughs) And then (laughs) the scene cuts back to Otto and he is having this moment, uh, struggling with himself if he should bring this up to the king or not. He steals his resolve, takes a deep breath, and walks in the room, and Otto tells Viserys about Daemon and Rhaenyra. Uh, Viserys refuses to believe it, and while Otto was giving his report on the accounting of what happened, there was someone spying in on the conversation, and it's going to be really important. Uh, it was Alicent Hightower. She was sitting behind like this little Whatever you call it. I don't, but usually people get dressed behind like a curtain type of deal. So I, I don't know if it was a curtain or what. But she was hiding behind it and she was listening to the conversation. And that is going to be super important going on. But to get into the dialogue what Viserys and Otto were saying to each other. Viserys says, Are you so sick with ambition that you would have my daughter stalked, spied upon, awaiting your best chance to destroy her reputation? And Otto replies, I have no such intent, Your Grace. Which Viserys says, You think yourself a cunning man. Your designs are obvious. Do you wish to have your blood on the Iron Throne so badly that you are willing to destroy mine own? Just get out. Leave me at once. And then that's when Otto takes his leave, and the so camera pans over to Ranira, and she's brushing her hair, getting ready for the day, and the door knocks it's Sir Kristen Cole, and she's all like, giddy. She's like, ooh, come in. And Kristen Cole's like, nah, I have a message from the Queen. This isn't that kind of visit, young lady. <laughs> but anyways, Alicent summons Rhaenyra to the godswood and questions her immediately about what happened last night. And, you know, is just playing stupid, kind of. And at that point, Alicent just throws all cards on the table and says that she was seen fucking Daemon in the Pleasure House. She's like, this is what people are saying. And, you know, Renier comes up with this elaborate story and ends up convincing Alicent that she was innocent, which realistically, technically speaking, she was innocent on that account because they didn't fully have sex. Yes, things went further than they should have, but they didn't they didn't actually have sex. So in a way she kind of skirted the lie in a bit but uh, she ends up with this, and I thought this was kind of funny, because it was a direct lie, and you can see she lies a lot to get herself, or like, does things to weasel herself out of trouble a few times throughout the series. But she tells Allison, she says, Damon never touched me. I swear this to you upon the memory of my mother. Well, that's not very true, because Damon definitely touched <laughs> you. I'll tell you that. But anyways, at that point, the scene shifts, and the King's Guard, they're grabbing hungover Damon, and they drag him to an audience before the king, and and Damon's so hungover he can't even stand up. He's like on his knees, like throwing on the thing. Like reminds me of one of the nights that Chase and I had where dude was passed out on the bathroom floor. You know, just couldn't move at all. It was just really, really funny. But throws Damon down before the throne room in the little walkway, and Viserys is like standing over him, all like donned up in his king's get-up and gear. And Viserys is pissed. And he like even kicks Damon on the ground because he thinks that he defiled Rhaenyra, and this is the some of the dialogue between Viserys and Daemon at this point. Viserys says, You have ruined her. What lord will wed her now? In this condition? And Daemon says, Who gives a fuck what some lord thinks? You are the dragon. Your word is truth and law. And this is kind of going back to what I was mentioning last week, where the perception is, like, Viserys, this is not his game. He's not the... What I say goes, person. He's the political guy that tries to please everybody. And Damon's like, dude, you gotta stop doing that, man. Like, you are, you are the dragon. You are the king. Like, who gives a fuck about these people? This is like the, the lesson that Damon's trying to teach Viserys, in my mind. But anyways, Viserys continues on and says, "I have spent a lifetime defending you, but your heart is even blacker than I thought. I should disinherit her as I already did you and be done with it." And Damon says, "Wed her to me." when I offered up my crown, you said I could have anything. I want Rhaenyra. I'll take her as she is and wed her in the tradition of our house. Viserys reminds Daemon, you are already wed. And Daemon says that didn't stop Aegon the Conqueror from taking a second wife. And that's when Viserys pulls a knife to Daemon's throat and says, you are no conqueror. You are a plague sent to destroy me. And Damon says, Give me Rhaenyra to take to wife, and we will return the house of the dragon to its proper glory. And Viserys says, Of course. It's not my daughter you lust for, is it? It's my throne. Go back to the Vale, Damon, to your lawful wife. Strive to restore whatever scrap of honor remains in you, or don't. Matters not to me, as long as you are gone from my sight for good. And he walks off, and as he's walking off, Damon says, as you wish, brother. At this point, the scene moves to Viserys and Alicent, and uh, she's, ask- she's asking Viserys if he's talked to Rhaenyra, and Alicent here is the best friend. She's playing the best friend card. The whole it wasn't me thing, Alicent's taking Rhaenyra's back. She's like, uh, "I belie- she said she didn't do it, and I believe her. I think Daemon only said those things to reduce you as a king and make you look bad, Viserys. You know, I'm-, I'm paraphrasing here, but whole point is th- of this little dialogue is Rhaenyra has I'm sorry, Alicent has Rhaenyra's back, which, again, this is all culminating into the conflict to come in the in the future episodes. You know, she trusted Alicent trusted Rhaenyra, and technically Rhaenyra didn't lie in a way, but uh, well, we'll all see how that ends up playing out. Regardless, but anyways, <laughs> at at, that, at this point, Rhaenyra is summoned to the king's quarters, and she walks past the Cat's Paw dagger that's sitting in a coal of fire. And Viserys tells her that the dagger once belonged to Aegon the Conqueror, and then it was Aenar's before that, and before that, no one really knows. So Viserys tells Rhaenyra, Before Aegon's death, the last of the Valyrian pyromancers hid his song in the steel. And he grabs a blade that was resting in the coals of fire, and he pulls it out, and Rhaenyra reads it, and it says, From my blood come the prince that was promised and his will be the song of ice and fire. So I thought that was super cool, and definitely something worth mentioning And when we talk about debates in just a few. Uh, there's something I want to talk about directly with that whole thing on the blade. But moving on, Viserys is speaking to Rhaenyra, and he Viserys says, "'The responsibility I have handed to you, "'the burden of this knowledge, "'it is larger than the throne. "'The king is larger than you and your desires.'" Jeharis would have disinherited you. Rhaenyra responds, For a lie? You've yet to ask me for the truth of what happened. And Viserys tells her, The truth does not matter, Rhaenyra, only perception. You've exposed yourself. Now we, boast, now we must both suffer the consequences. And Rhaenyra tells him, Were I born a man, I could bed whomever I wanted. I could father a dozen bastards, and no one in your court would blink an eye. Viserys says, you are right, but you were born a woman. And that's when Rhaenyra says, so you'll strip me of my titles and name Aegon in my stead. To which Viserys responds, I would, but it is mine to hold the realm together, not sow it, sow it with further division. Your courtship is at an end. You will wed Sir Laenor Velaryon, and you will do so without protest. And Rhaenyra responds, the son of the sea snake? So I can be a remedy for your political headaches. And Viserys yells at her You are my political headache! <laughs> your wedding to Sir Laenor Velaryon will unite the two most powerful houses in the realm. With the combined strength of our shared dragons and naval fleets, no one would dare to stand against us. The house of the dragon will stand as one for a further generation. And Rhaenyra asks, And what will you do about the vulture who perches upon your throne? And Viserys asks her, What vulture? And Rhaenyra tells him, Your hand. Viserys says, Otto Hightower has served two kings loyally and faithfully. To which Rhaenyra responds, He wants Aegon to be named heir, and he will stop at nothing to see it done, including spying on me to bring about my ruin. You speak of the conqueror's vision and the need for strength and unity across the realm, but how can that be accomplished with your most trusted advisor so self-interested? Viserys responds to her and says, Every lord and lady that calls for an audience with me, every man in my small council and all councils past, has been self-interested. It is unavoidable. And Renier says, I disagree. I will do my duty as heir and wed Sir Laenor, but you must first do yours as king. So she, in a way, kind of sneaked her little way in there because he's the one that exposed her. So she's now playing this game of chess with Otto that Otto doesn't even know about yet. And he, she really kind of manipulated the king here in this moment. And who knows if it's for good or for, or for worse. We'll find out later on as the series goes. But at that point, the scene shifts, and Otto Hightower is summoned before Viserys. Now, Viserys goes down memory lane and talks about his father, Balon, and how his father was named Hand to the King to Jaehaerys, and that Jaehaerys named the Great Royal Hunt in Celebration. But five days later, Balon lay dead. Balon the Brave, rider of Vegar, heir to the Iron Throne, dead of a burst belly. So, just to give you guys the, the lineage here, Balon is Viserys' father and was brother to King Jaehaerys. So that's how Jaehaerys and Viserys are related. Regardless, Viserys then starts speaking to Otto. The dialogue here. Viserys says, You served my grandsire nobly in his final days. You were the man that taught me how to be king. Otto responds, You honor me, your grace. And Viserys says, Just five days. You went from being another man in jeheris's court to the second most powerful man in the realm. I wonder, how long did it take you to choose yourself over your king? And you can see the hurt and Otto's eyes here and Otto says your, your grace like just confused and kind of hurt and Viserys continues on he says I will never recover from Emma's death but Allison she took me through the worst of my grief she was a calculated distraction I only now realize how well calculated it was and Otto responds that is an absurdity the queen loves you as I know you love her And Viserys continues and says, Your interests no longer align with those of the realm. Your judgment has been compromised. And Otto says, A loyal hand must tell his king a discomforting truth from time to time, your grace. If he doesn't, he's failed as a servant. To which Viserys responds and says, You were a faithful servant, Otto. The crown and the realm both owe you a debt that can never be repaid but I can no longer trust your judgment. And he walks up to Otto and takes the Hand of the King badge off Otto's chest. And the scene cuts to the Grand Maester and he's bringing Rhaenyra tea. And he's having this conversation with Rhaenyra and she's like, why does that have to be like specially brewed or properly brewed? It's just tea. And he was like, no, this kind of tea makes sure that there is no any unwanted consequences of actions." So now even the Grand Maester knows that that's something happen here and they've got to kind of keep it hush hush uh but basically what that that t is for everybody else it's what we would consider plan b here in today's world you know the plan b pill right uh but that t what it does is it stops any chance of pregnancy and and that's how uh you know the the camera pans out as she sits there staring at the plan b pregnancy t just to, to end that there and that's how the episode ends and yeah that that kind of took us all the way through and i don't know man how we do did we miss anything anything you want to add to it no, it was excellent. Uh, just on that last part there, like that, just shows
1: Viserys doesn't buy that shit. That she was just, despite whether or not he believes Otto was spying on her or not, he doesn't exactly believe rhaenyra is all innocent in this situation either. Just by that, otherwise he wouldn't have delivered that tea. Is my thoughts. But uh, takeaways: excellent episode. The writing was fantastic. You really see, uh, really kind of you see. Rhaenyra and Viserys are trying to patch things up, but you really see a big split in their relationship there. Here, um, also you do see right when you think Damon is turning over a new leaf, <laughs> that's not exactly the case. Perfect, uh, perfect calculated decision (laughs) and how well calculated it was by Damon. Absolutely phenomenal. Um, It had, you know, classic Game of Thrones. I love the pullback into the play, like how you had Arya in season six. Um, Also, the fact that we brought up the prince that was promised again that you're going to bring up in your debates there was excellent. Um, I love the writing and the full circle moments and the foreshadowing, and uh, really we're starting to see the feud break through. But I love how this side too—they're not taking sides here. They're showing, you know, how, you know, even though everyone wants to kind of support Rhaenyra, they're showing her flaws as well. But also they're showing too how Alicent—it's not like she's just she's exactly the bad person here. And I think that's what Game of Thrones does so well is they don't exactly pick sides. They let the antagonist and protagonist play out with just how the story goes. And uh, I, I, it's very interesting how everything is going and how it's showing different perceptions and how things can get misconstrued. Um, so, yeah, i I'd give this episode... Um, it didn't have as much action as the last episode, but still very well-written, uh, very... Intense, more like a Melrose Place episode. Who's cheating who? Who's being true?
0: <laughs> so uh, I'll give it a 9.3. What about you, man? Yeah, my takeaway is similar to you in terms of I could have used a little more action. Uh, but uh, like you were mentioning, I think you brought up a really great point. We're starting to see that Raineria has flaws as well and that she's not perfect or innocent in these the proceedings. She's lying to the queen. Like, yes, technically, she didn't sleep with Damon, but she did sleep with Sir Chris and Cole, which definitely shouldn't have been doing because not only is he a member of the King's guard, <laughs> but she's supposed to remain a maiden for a lord to, like you know in the custom of the uh, of the weddings and, and stuff back in those times, you know that that she basically ruined herself, and like you mentioned, the king doesn't even trust her because he makes her drink that that fucking tea or brings the, brings the tea to her but uh, I thought it was cool. We're starting to see the relationship between Damon and Rhaenyra develop a little bit. And to your point as well, talking about Damon and his calculated moves, it seems like Damon is doing his best to... It seems like Damon's end goal is still the throne, but now he's going about it different ways. Instead of just asking for it directly, they're thinking he should be named heir like it was in the beginning episodes. Now we're at this, like, this little juncture where he's like, okay, well, you know what? Now I can do this because what I'll do is I'll marry Rhaenyra and her and I together we'll do this and so even Viserys says it he's like oh it's not my daughter you lust for it's it's my throne and sends him away and you know for everything that ends up happening the way it did anyways it kind of seems like a waste you know for what we know as of being caught up with the series that that's out right now it's like hey dude we could have saved a lot of trouble I'm not going to bring it up but point being is that Damon is just trying different uh, avenues to accomplish the same goal of, of ruling the kingdoms, right? So I thought that was kind of cool to see that. And then, the, obviously, the big shocker here is that Viserys, upon one conversation with Rhaenyra, strips Otto Tower of Hand of the King. And that, and that is going to be a big thing moving forward. And, you know, it's almost like she did it to to deflect the blame off herself. Like, she was the one under fire and on trial there by the king getting accused of shit. And then she fucking flips and plays the Uno <laughs> reverse card and is like, well, wait a second. You see what your hand's doing, though? He's coming for me. I thought I was your daughter. She's like manipulating the shit out of the king. And now the king has to make a choice because she almost makes a deal with him and says, all right, I'll, I'll go ahead and sir, wed, wed Sir Lainor Valarian, but you gotta get rid of this, this vulture who's perched on in your throne. And so they kind of they kind of have that deal with each other there and, and that's what ends up happening and you know so it was a really it, this episode was a lot about the politics and the messiness of, of of human flaws and it was cool to see and and i would say that i you know i can't give it high, that high of a score i'll, I'll go like 8.9 I won't, I won't put it in the nines just because had a lot of like lack of action and it's some things kind of moved a little bit too fast. Like I said, one conversation with Rhaenyra and Otto's out after he's served, saved, faithfully served yeah. both King Jaheris and Viserys. I don't know. I think it would take a little bit more uh, than than that conversation with Rhaenyra to, to get him out of there. But either way. And then we also have that thing where Alicent overheard what was happening. And then she takes up for Rhaenyra's side. And you know, if she ever finds out the truth, it could end up hurting her, Alicent, and then making her... See things in a different light, and I don't want to give anything away. I'm just saying these are potential things that could happen. You know, obviously, we know what happens if you're caught up with the series, but regardless, uh, it was a good episode. The takeaways were, you know, I, I enjoyed. I enjoyed what it was. It wasn't my absolute favorite of the series so far, but it was important to where we're going and, and the big conflict to come for sure. This was a, definitely a tipping point. You know, auto High Tower out of there as hand is already enough to. To really kind of get things moving in a crazy direction. So, yeah, for me, 8.9 out of 10. Let's go ahead and move into some debates. What do you have for us today?
1: Yeah, and I want to ask you this question too. This isn't a debate, this just goes on to what we were talking about with the takeaways. Not really a question, but uh, more of a statement here. Kind of like how we've been talking about, we were talking about last week with this series being weak. You know, I get it's his daughter and you know she Renier has a good reputation with i guess being intellectual but at the point of one conversation with a 17 year old girl and you're going to go replace someone that's been a hand of the king for two kings loyally like where the fuck does that come from but just saying that what are your thoughts on that like I, like no there was no like negotiation or like hey let me get down to the bottom of the situation here try to get it feel out for myself like the next day as a conversation with his 17 year old daughter he's like all right fuck this guy that's been with me since i've been on the throne and two kings before that like what the fuck dude
0: yeah and like i guess the only other aspect to this that makes it make a little more sense is when remember when Otto first told viserys about what was reported to him with Damon and Rhaenyra, Viserys himself started to think that like he said he said, You do you wish to see your own blood on the throne so bad that you would ruin mine own? And so he like maybe that was already clicking in his head because uh, he didn't want to believe what they hear about Rhaenyra. And in his mind, Otto being the one bringing him this information was like, oh, it makes sense. All you want to do is, is ruin Rhaenyra's reputation. So that way I'm kind of put in a pickle and forced to name Aegon Air. Even though I don't necessarily think that was the goal at that point in time for Otto. I think Otto was doing his duty. Because you can see before he entered, he really struggled with himself if he was going to tell the king or not. You saw him stand before the door and like really steal and resolve himself. to like, okay, I've got to do this. It's my duty. You know what I mean? And then had that conversation, and the king was like loses it because he doesn't want to believe the worst of his daughter. You know, he he refutes it as a lie. It's a complete lie in in, in King Viserys' mind, but not a complete lie, or else he wouldn't have brought that tea. So, uh, you know, so it's it. I guess from there, that's the only other part of it. So maybe King Viserys is already thinking this because of that conversation you have with Otto, and then the conversation with Rhaenyra maybe just took it the extra step that it needed to go. I guess that's the way you can defend it. But no, I like I said, like I obviously me being the one that brought it up, I I don't love how fast it played out um but look when you only got 10 episodes in a season you gotta put what you can where you can so it is what it is i don't have a terrible yeah. issue with it
1: and my other side note here on that is rhaenyra being intellectual you would think it would have gone through her mind not just like auto is a vulture but the fact that she was already seen by sir harwin strong in the city like you would think, other she would realize other people would also
0: might have seen her in the city. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, that's it. Just depends on the nature of what they were thinking and seeing, right? Because the the, the Sir Harwin saw her, but just saw her running through the streets, not so much mm-hmm. like he spied her in the pleasure house himself or anything like that so who knows maybe her just running was like in his mind talking about sir harwin's mind could have been like oh she's tired of being cooped up and just wants a level of freedom and maybe didn't think twice of it but you remember she even told him like he even told her yeah you're lucky it was me who found you because if it was someone else you know it could have been a whole different type of outcome so i don't know that's yeah. just kind of my thoughts on it yeah so my debate for the day this is a
1: uh, cool one actually so this goes back to the very beginning remember you were talking about the uh, who Rhaenyra called a child Lucas Blackwood a little badass <laughs> so uh, you know we don't want to go into like things that happen later on in episodes but as far as like time jumps do you think at some point in this series we'll see him again and he'll just be this
0: like badass warrior that's developed over time yeah I don't know if like I don't know what level of warrior he's going to be, but I definitely think we'll we'll see him again before this series is up. Whether it's a big role or a small role, I don't know. But the fact that he went single combat with someone who was older and probably more physically stronger than him and ended up taking him out, I think that sets the stage for him to make a re appearance somewhere down the line with, with these time hops, like you were mentioning, as a as a seasoned war vet who is probably pretty formidable.
1: Yeah, I think so, too. I just think that would be sick. Like, we saw someone we're not really thinking of, and they kind of, you know, shifted the scene a bit so you weren't thinking about him much after it happened. But what a full-circle moment would that fucking be? Like, say you saw him, like, come out of nowhere, like, defending Rhaenyra or whoever the fuck it was, ironically. What if it was Alicent? That'd be really ironic. And, uh, you know, this, like, badass warrior comes out of nowhere and you find out it's Lucas Blackwood that's, like, developed over the years. That would be sick. Uh, so I just think that would be really cool. Another quick, simple one. Interesting. So and they were talking this week. Of course, everyone knows now because how successful House of the Dragon was. Everything was, like, you know, of course, the series is finishing up soon. But um, as far as, like, wondering how successful it would be in expanding the Game of Thrones universe. They have said season two, so they haven't started filming yet. They're supposed to be filming towards next summer. So fortunately next season, guys, you won't be getting House of Dragon for us until we get into season four. So <laughs> sorry about that. So enjoy it while Last, this season. But they said they're we're going to see the Starks in season two, and we're going to be taking a trip back to Winterfell. What are your thoughts of? How do you think the Starks could ever play a role in any of this?
0: Yeah, I think that uh, the Starks, because I saw the same thing that that we we are going to make a reappearance in the Winterfell, and also one of the Starks was already introduced quickly in the in these some of these episodes, and I'm not exactly uh, positive on which one it was, but one of the Starks had already kind of made a quick cameo, so. We, I, as soon as we saw that, I knew that they, we were gonna have to go back to Winterfell. Um, but in terms of the role that they're gonna play, they're gonna. I think that's gonna be an important house. And if I, if I, if you kind of put me in a corner and ask me which side they're gonna back, they're. I think they're probably gonna back the Blacks, and I think that's gonna yeah. be a really. Because I mean that that even leads into you know future conflict with you know, you know what we we picked up with Game of Thrones 172 later down the road how. Like the Starks and the uh, Lannisters were always at odds. I think the Lannisters are going to go team green, and I'm sure the like Winterfell is going to go, and the Starks are going to go team black. Because what's one what's one quality that we know about the Starks is that they're loyal, and they seem to be traditionalists. Meaning, you know, they swore fealty to Rhaenyra, and they're going to keep their oath and keep their word because they're honorable men. Those are what the like that's like the key characteristics of the Starks. So. That's what I think is going to end up happening. They're going to play a role. They're going to back the blacks. And uh, and I think that's also going to lead into future conflicts.
1: Absolutely. I agree with you 100%, I think. Uh, and how ironic, right? Like, um, you know, with stuff that leads into like Robert's Rebellion and all that stuff later on, which. Please, HBO, at some point, please give us that. But I agree with you 100%. I think they're going to back the blacks, but I think it's just going to be so cool to finally see. You're the Stark on the show, man. You know, I'm always the Targaryen. Uh, I like to sit in the hot sun, I don't bundle up too much. (laughs) Hence, I'm from Georgia, and Jay Nelly is from New York, man. So, but I think that would be so cool to be back in the element of Winterfell. Um, so just in, in, in a way, too, you know, we had this debate. It uh, actually, if you haven't seen it, you can go on our TikTok and see it because it got a lot of traction there. And it was talked about on our episode in uh, our first episode is Jane Nellie was saying we could get a cameo at the very end of the series with the White Walkers. That could be like a way they sort of like are able to tie that in. So I think that would be really cool. But
0: what about your debates for the day, brother? One quick addition to that before I jump into my debates, uh, do you like what about the wall? Do you think we're gonna since we're gonna get the Winterfell? Would it be kind of cool to see the wall one more time, like in its former glory? Not you know maybe a fully manned wall. Remember like during the Game of Thrones time, there was only three towers that were manned, right? Like Castle Black, uh, East, East Watch by the Sea, and um, I forget the other one at this point in time. But there was only three manned towers. Imagine a fully manned wall and how formidable that would be against maybe the wildlings. You know the wildlings are going to play a role. They're probably not. But, like, I think it would be cool to get at least an episode where we take a trip to the wall and see it again in its former glory. What do you think about that? Uh, I think it would be great. You know what I would love to see
1: that would be awesome, which uh, this isn't in any of the books and stuff, so – but whatever. Sorry, not sorry. They're pulling a lot of this, you know, just from their own writing, which is creative, and I think it's great. I would love to see something in the series – where say something happened that we didn't know about near the wall that's built and it takes some of the dragons maybe not all of them but maybe like the rogue prince like Damon or someone like we probably won't see this but i think it would be really cool someone that's in the targaryen army goes over there with dragon riders whether it's valyrians or whoever and protects the wall from whatever is there and then the wall still stands because they defended it whether it's you know wildling's thins whether we do get white walkers anything over there i think that would be just so cool to see like the wall being defended by those dragons and that's how they were able to defend it off with like the powers the full force of power that they have right now which is why it stood so long i think that would be cool to see what's your thoughts
0: i just don't think it's going to happen i don't think it makes sense in this timeline to do something like that like this this series really seems like it's going to focus on the the mm-hmm. conflict between the two sectors of Targaryens and um, the Targaryen Civil War. So I, I, I think we're more likely to get just quick snippets of the wall. I don't think we're going to see a battle at the wall, and I, I don't think we're going to see dragons fly out to the wall. If we see it at all, it's just going to be like a quick nostalgic like throwback to, oh, here's the wall, you know, because it got destroyed during... yeah It yeah, well, didn't fully get destroyed. But one side of it got destroyed when the White Walkers made their advance to... You know the rest of the Westeros, so um, I just don't. I don't think we see it. Like, would it be cool? Sure, sure, it'd be awesome. I just don't think it makes sense uh, for for them to pull any sort of resources that way when this whole series seems to be focused on just the Targaryens' conflict with each other. So I think we're more likely to see just it in a quick snippet, maybe one episode, just to give us the little like nod back to you know something that we come to see in the early early stages of the first game of thrones way back in 2011 yeah no great stuff yeah what's your debate for the day brother yeah my debate is and i think this is a big one do you think the writing has pinned themselves into a corner or have they given us a a huge hint as to the prince that was promised and the reason i ask and bring this up is i'm going to go ahead and read Directly on this, and, and let me actually, I'm going to do like a little interactive thing with you. I'm going to ask you questions to see what your thought process is before I bring this up, right? So, do you remember when Melisandre was always with Stannis and calling him the prince that was promised and stuff? And um, we find out later on when, I forget who's the one that translated it, but it's the, because it's in High Valyrian, the... I thought maybe it was, uh, who, it was Miss Sunday who Yeah, Miss Sunday who translated and said the 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 actual translation is the prince or princess who was promised. So you remember that? Yeah, what's funny ironically, I just watched this episode again the other day. Oh, perfect. But yeah, it was Miss Sunday that right. uh, translated it. So it's Miss Sunday, right? And you know, she's a translator, she speaks multiple languages. Now, do we think that she can speak better High Valyrian? Then Viserys Targaryen and Rhaenyra Targaryen? Probably not, right? Right. And the reason I bring this up is if they they speak Valyrian, High Valyrian as like their primary language. Now obviously they have to use a common speak around everyone else because they don't know Valyrian, but the whole issue is is now we have a direct translation from the Targaryen's own mouths that translate it as this. This is what was said and I made sure I wrote, I had the captions on so I wrote it down word for word. On that blade, when it was heated up and they read the translation, Rhaenyra reads it. From my blood come the prince that was promised, and his will be the song of ice and fire. An Emphasis on his. That doesn't sound like it could be male or female. That sounds like it's supposed to be male. But am I right or am I wrong? What do you think? Yeah, I got a oh, man,
1: this brings up so many questions. I don't cuz it makes me wonder like whether they're going to try to correct that in the snow series or maybe Bran was Bran the prince that was promised the whole time? Maybe Bran secretly well, is? No, the because he said
0: he said in that it comes from my blood. Bran Bran doesn't come from a- oh A-Agon's Yeah, Bran's blood. a Stark. So <laughs> it doesn't even work. I I don't
1: This is so tough. Um because, and here's here's the catch Danny's brother's dead. And if Danny's actually dead, so the only option you can really do, because that line is extinct at that point. Not technically, Jon Snow's still alive. Oh, well, okay, Jon Snow. But he sent him to the wall. I think the only option is to have the Snow series. I think maybe they're trying to correct some wrongs. Um, but then it, it makes me wonder, too, what, what is the role, really, of the cat's paw dagger in this whole thing? It, even if it was just the point of Arya Stark and the Night King, you know, you know, it would have closed brown eyes, green eyes, blue eyes. I, I don't really know. Like, why would that even be written on there? I mean, maybe that's an answer someone can give me. Uh, but no, I agree with you. I mean, it clearly says his unless they're just like taking it script by script and that word really does translate to prince or princess, but clearly we know it wasn't Danny. (laughs) So, and and still you have this whole Don thing. Like, is that the sword of the morning sword Don? Or what is that? Uh, I mean, it brings up a lot of issues that you and I have talked about so many times beating a dead horse. I mean, we go to catch, I think, you know, we said Cersei should have been green eyes, Night King blue eyes, and you could even say maybe Arya should have been the brown eyes after she killed everybody and closes Arya's eyes. I got so many thoughts on everything. The problem is, like, this isn't clear. Like, this makes, uh, I think eventually we will have something where the prince that was promised, but you're going to have to bring Jon back. That's your only option. I mean, and that's still in the books. That's a whole another thing. It's not even clear if Jon's alive. So I don't even know if they know where they're going. What
0: are your thoughts on this? Dude, it's just, like I said, either they gave us a huge hint or they really painted themselves in the corner for another plot hole from Game of Thrones. Shocker, <laughs> right? But, uh, you know, like, I, I don't know. Because, like, that, you, there's no way you're going to convince me that Targaryens direct descent from the Valyrian bloodline are going to mistranslate their own language. Especially back then, when they used High Valyrian to speak to each other when no one else was around, and like that was their mother tongue, right? Like to me, there's no chance a a slave translator two hundred years later is going to know better Valyrian than the, the I wouldn't say the original Targaryens, but a, a much closer to the original Targaryens than what we got 172 years later with Daenerys, right? So I to me, I just I don't see how you can get away with still being able to say prince or princess or it could still potentially be a female because she says straight out on the dagger in high valerian as language that they speak primarily it says and his will be the song of ice and fire did not say his or hers or prince or princess on the dagger it specifically said it and she read it out directly line for line and like i said it's very hard for me to be convinced that she does not know full valerian and like who knows and and on top of that let's say she didn't for whatever reason maybe she just wasn't as fluent i definitely think king viserys is and he could have corrected her and been like well no that's not directly what it translates to because he's giving the this whole dagger to her and like the whole promise to her to carry on so why would he do that if he thought that she wasn't supposed like you know wasn't supposed to be the person to carry the secret going forward if you know, she, because you would like to think that he could be like, oh, well, no, like, keep in mind, this says prince or princess, and it would be like, and his or hers will be the Song of ice of Fire. He could have said that, you know, and really kind of solidified the fact of her being the next queen in line, just in case anything happened underneath her rule, and maybe she was the one that was supposed to bring him like, to the, the the Great Dawn, or whatever it was called. So, you know, it's just, it's just interesting, because he didn't correct her, so he must have you know been right along the lines there and also agreed with what she said because she read it straight from the dagger he was there and watched her read it and he had no corrections or added anything to it he just kind of let her soak in what the meaning of this was and how important it was for the future going forward and how it's bigger than the throne it's bigger than the king it's bigger than herself there's this whole deal so i don't know i really think that either they pushed themselves into a corner or they gave us a huge ass fucking hint about who the prince of promise was yeah well i mean if it is a hint
1: i i just don't know i just got it's very tough for me to say because i mean this goes into season eight like it had so much potential but yeah i agree i mean there's just who knows i mean do you think they're going to capitalize on that during this series or do you think this is something they're trying to use to expand the game of thrones universe
0: probably going to expand the Game of Thrones universe because this is another thing that we talked about how the original Game of Thrones series never really answered the prince that was promised question that was still something that we were left like okay like why bring this up to the entire series if you're never gonna mention it again so I do think going forward this is going to be something that goes into play probably down the road with other mini-series that spin off and the reason I say that is because another thing that never was mentioned in Game of Thrones, another Uh, I wouldn't say, yeah, an unfulfilled uh, plot hole that they just skirted around was that baby that the Night King turned into a White Walker by touching it. You know, is it possible that the White Walkers aren't actually gone after all and like the real, real long night is still yet to come because, you know, they they have not been eradicated completely? Can that baby be turned into the new Night king and maybe they raise another new army of the dead uh and, and, and does that go further on and then maybe finally we'll get the prince that was promised to lead to the true long night since the long night that we got kind of felt cheapened you know what i mean like i don't know like this this is all stuff that could go into play and i'm not saying i know for sure i'm just saying like these are potential ways to kind of you know shore up all the deficiencies that you left us with in the original series. Yeah, I think the only way to
1: right your wrongs is, like, years down the road. You have to do almost, like, opposite of the way Star Wars did it. Like, you know, Star Wars brought us, like, those god-awful three uh, sequels recently. Not all of them are god-awful, but they're pretty bad. But you'd have to do that, but do it perfect. Like, no mistakes. You're on the edge of a knife. Like, it all depends on this. And I think that's what you would have to do is right your wrongs that way and that leads with the prince that was promised, like generations down. Like that's the prince that was promised that comes back, in my opinion. And maybe you have, you have Arya with the cat spot at that point. You better get Maisie Williams on the phone, and uh, better hope she's been searching what's west of westeros and finding some more faceless men. Like all I'm saying is you got a lot of wrongs to right. And uh but you have potential to do it. So I, I think it's a great idea. So and maybe, you know, the final brown eyes actually is Arya closes her eyes <laughs> for the final time. I don't know, man. There's so many what up
0: situations, but I agree with you 100%. Yeah, it's just it's just an interesting thought. And then one more thing I wanted to talk about is are we starting to see the character flaws in Rhaenyra not just with her judgment of almost sleeping with her uncle definitely would have if he took it the full way she was definitely eager and willing and then on top of that sleeping with the Kingsguard Sir Criston Cole uh you know we're starting to see some flaws in character with her judgment and then the way she tries to get out of it and tries to deflect blame on on Otto Hightower for having her spied upon then lies to Allison and says, I swear that Damon didn't touch me upon the memory of my mother. You see that she's, to me, it almost seems that she's willing to do anything to get the blame off of her and push it on to others or make herself look in an innocent light. And things that we start to see in episodes that will be coming further and further is that anytime Ranira is in a pickle, she will do whatever, you know, it, it, it just seems that She'll be apologetic when she needs to. She'll be submissive when she needs to, when things aren't going in her favor. And it's like, are we starting to see a little bit more about her true character? What do you think?
1: Yeah, (laughs) I do. I think it's, um, I don't want to give a whole lot away, but let's just always say, I've talked about it. Um, I mentioned this when we were discussing our mid-season State of the Union There's no good side. There's no bad side in here. And I'm going to leave it at this. Team green, team black. This is why I'm team small folk, team Damon. I just choose who I like, but I'm not exactly any side because I do think you're starting to see, just like we talked about last episode, Jay Nelly made a great point on that symbolism where Rhaenyra killed the pig, uh, or I call it a pig, whatever it was. Um, and you're at the same time on the other side, you're starting to, you know, Allison. you kind of see a little bit of more uh, kind of negotiation, but she's starting to kind of come into her own a little bit too. There are no good sides in this. And, Go back to the original Game of Thrones uh, when, uh, speaking of Stannis Baratheon and all those other people, um, this was actually, uh, it was, um, wh- who is the, uh, John's Hand for a while? What was his name? Uh, John's Hand. John's Hand? John who? John Snow's Hand when he was made King of the North.
0: Oh, oh, um, yeah, the the guy who had the knuckles, uh cut off uh, Davos uh, Davos uh, Davos
1: of Seaworth Davos of Seaworth was talking to that girl who's reading that book Dance of Dragons it's poetic really and uh, you know it, it's it's poetic so there is no good side um, I don't want to say everyone's bad but just like I said in that mid-season State of the Union everyone here is all about themselves I haven't seen one person say Well, I don't want to give anything away. There's an episode in the future. Ironically, there's one person that says they don't want the throne. And that's very ironic with how that goes. So that's just what I'll say here. There are no good side. There are no bad side. There is just it is what it is. And I agree with you 100%. What about you?
0: Yeah, uh, in terms of her character being shown, we're starting to see. We're starting to see that she will do what it takes, manipulate her way uh, through people's minds, and, you know, paint the truth with shades of gray and, and all that. And I, I think this is going to be one of those situations where if you guys remember from last uh, our very first season, I should say, when we covered the original Game of Thrones series, I made a whole detailed list of foreshadows of what ended up happening with Daenerys and how that it was kind of you could kind of follow along and see where she was going to end up as the Mad Queen I think we're starting to get little pieces and little nuggets of foreshadowed things of who Rhaenyra really is and how this could go forward and that's all I'll say for now so yeah man that's all I got yeah man uh awesome you want to close us out for the day sounds like a plan guys you know this is your very first time joining us welcome we really do hope you enjoy what you heard today if you've been joining us since day one, thank you for continuing to be the shields that guard the realms of fantasy. And if you're looking to figure out where you can find us, please go ahead and follow along. Click like, subscribe. We are on uh, on Instagram at official ridiculous patronus. We're on TikTok at ridiculous patronus. Backup Instagram at fact underscore or underscore fantasy. Back up TikTok at fact underscore or underscore fantasy. We're on Facebook, Chase and Josh, Factor Fantasy. YouTube, Ridiculous Patronus. We have our own website, ridiculouspatronus.blogspot.com. Snapchat, RP Factor Fantasy. Twitter, RP Factor Fantasy. So please go ahead and leave those reviews, whether you do it through Spotify and the Star Reviews or if you do it through Apple Podcasts and leave written out reviews. Either way, we really do enjoy the audience engagement. Then on the podcast side of things, if you're looking to figure out where you can listen to us, we are wherever you do get your podcasts. So if you're an Apple user, you can find us on iTunes, on Apple Podcasts. You can find us on Spotify and on uh, Google Play if you're an Android user. We're also on iHeartRadio. We're on Audible, Amazon Music. We're on uh, Stitcher, Acast, Podbean, our host site. Like I said, wherever you get your podcast, Chase and Josh, Factor Fantasy are there. But we are out for the day because you know this has been another ridiculous production. Chase and Josh. Factor Fantasy. Signing off. off.